The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. We're looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19, and those verses are in a bulletin, or you can follow along in the Bible in the pew or on your Bible app on your phone. Hear the Lord speaking to us this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved or saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, we have an expression that we use when things are, are going south. You know, maybe your boss is mad at you, your car won't start, your basement's flooded, your dog is sick, your child has an ear infection, and your computer has the blue screen of death. And we would say, when it rains, it pours, you know, like it's all going south, right? And I've seen when these things happen to us over the years with people that when difficulties and hard times come, we don't want to put, equate these verses of being surprised at suffering or the fiery trials. We don't really think those really apply to us. And I want us to see this morning, first of all, is that when hard times do come, And even though in context he's talking about persecution of Christians, the persecution comes in in weird ways, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But I just think generally as Christians are doing, as they're serving the Lord, they're living their life, and all of a sudden something difficult comes. It's like, Lord, this is the thanks that I get for honoring you in this way. And all of a sudden it seems like everything is turning south. And I felt so bad for Roger. I don't think Roger's here this morning, Roger Hansen, but you know, he labored laboriously last week cooking burgers, probably hundreds. And his thanks at the end of the day when he got to his car was that his window was smashed in on the passenger side. And after a long day of cooking burgers at the church picnic in the 85 degree sun, he had to wait for the police to come to fill out a police report because his window got smashed in. And I want to say to Roger, hopefully you'll get to hear this, that verse 19 applies to you. You know, keep entrusting your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Don't give up on flipping burgers. Keep doing good. We need you. And those are the kind of things that happen. You know, you're just doing, you're just honoring the Lord and something weird like that. And it's easy to think, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to be done cooking burgers. You know, might as well just... We are going to look at a different venue, actually, for a different place. But, uh, 
that's another story. But, you know, it's easy to just say, well, if that's, the, if that's what it's going to be like, I think I'll just pull back all together and take my marbles and head home. And I want you to see that the fiery trials that come upon us is all the weird things in life where life just gets hard. There's stranger things. It seems hard. And, you know, the, my job seems really hard. My car is having troubles again. And we're starting to be tempted to think, you know, I hate this car. I, I hate my job. I hate, you know, things at, at home. Or, you know, you start thinking, man, this teacher doesn't like me, and I don't really like this teacher. Or, um, there's lots of things that can happen, right? And what I want us to see is when we're tempted along all of these lines is that these verses do apply to us. If they apply to Christians being persecuted and they're being tempted to withdraw, we're tempted to withdraw just as much even if we're not being outright persecuted. These verses apply. So the fiery trial, it comes upon all of us. And we're to trust the Lord in it. If you remember when we started this series, I was sharing with you about Rico Tice and his Hope Explored, and he's a pastor in England, and he kind of described life in these two different letters of F and D. And he was saying, when life is good, and we're experiencing all the, the Fs in life, fun, food, family, fitness, friendship, falling in love, like, hey, life is working and it's, it's good, then it's, you know, this fiery trial stuff doesn't really mean a whole lot. But then all of a sudden the D's come along. Disappointment, death, divorce, depression, disease, disorder in the world, and the big one is darkness, just darkness. And so sometimes life isn't always full of fun, food, fellowship, fitness, friendship, and falling in love, is it? And when these hard times come, that's when we have to trust the Lord. I remember when I first started in ministry, I was just working with middle schoolers. You've heard this story, for those of you who've been around for a while, that, you know, I labored all day working with these kids. I'd had knee surgery, and I was on crutches. I had even broken up a fight with my crutch. And when we got to the end of the day, we, we did a cookout, and we got all the way to this people's house, and I forgot the meat. And these middle school kids wanted, when they get hungry, they're hungry. And it was another half hour, 25 minutes back to the fridge to the, at the church to get the meat, to bring it back. And so now the kids are all hungry. And anyway, we got back Saturday night, and I wanted to write this paper on my interpretation of Song of Solomon for a seminary class before the, the Sabbath on Sunday, because I wanted to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. I figured he would honor me for getting this paper done, and I'd suffered for him all day long. And I worked on this paper, and I finished around 11 at night, and I went to save it, and I deleted it. I deleted the Song of Solomon paper. And I was so mad at God, because I was surprised, as though something strange were happening to me. And I got up, and I punched the drywall, which later would become my office, which was kind of hilarious where I was, but, and right in the church. I'm in the church building. Boom. Thankfully, I missed the two studs, you know, one right through the drywall, otherwise I'd have been really hurting. But, but I was mad at God because I was thinking, this is the thanks that I get. I had a wrong view that I thought God owed me something. And it start, it's easy to start having a debtor's mentality rather than seeing everything as a gift, but to think that somehow God owes me something. I mean, who's ever given a gift to God that he should repay him? He says that to us. And the answer is, 
He's the one who gives everything. He doesn't owe us anything but hell. So everything is a gift that comes down from him. And so when the furnace of affliction comes, we have to see that God is up to something, which I didn't see. And let me just say this. You can't help but wonder if this text was prophetic. Because let's take a a walk down history lane for a minute, right? Peter writes this epistle most likely around 62 A.D., Well, something big is going to happen in 64 A.D., you remember? Big 64 A.D. comes along, July 18th, and the city of Rome burns to the ground. And it was a city of narrow streets. The houses were built close together, kind of like our apartment complexes and and townhouses. And um, this fire just began to rage. It raged for three days and three nights. And when they thought they had it out, it picked back up again because of the winds and, and probably because it was relit. And it burned, the city burned for six days and seven nights. Just, just try to get, you know, they didn't have fire trucks. They couldn't come with a helicopter and scoop water out of a neighbor's swimming pool and then come and drop it over the house. They didn't have these big guns where they could just shoot it, you know, and run the water from, you know, these fire hydrants that were, you know, sticking out of the ground. They didn't have any of that. So this city has just been burnt down. And people start to think that Nero is the one who lit the fire himself, as historians believe that he wanted to make great plans for the city. But to make these great plans and to get the city the way he wanted it, he needed to do away with the old. And the way to do away with the old was to light it up, to burn it down. And as it's burning down and smoldering, Nero had an ingenious plan. Blame the Christians. I mean, they're the ones, after all, that think it's going to end by fire anyway. They're the ones who tried to start it now. And they lit the match. And before the Christians could even start singing, we didn't start the fire. They didn't even get a chance because they were being persecuted. And they're already grieving for the loss of an entire city. But as the whole city is grieving, when people lose something, what do they do? You see it every time on the news when something bad happens. It's always, who do we lay the blame on? And you look to lay the blame. And if you start looking carefully, usually Christians get blamed along the way. Even with some of the things, like when the the, uh, housing market melted down in the 2006 or whatever it was, there were some big-time articles that said it was the Christians' fault. Christians. You're like, how could it be the Christians' fault? Well, here's the answer. The Christians are the ones that are teaching health and wealth, and they're preaching that you need to just trust God and get the bigger loan because God wants you to be happy, and he's the one who's blessing you. And most churches that are today that are big are actually preaching a health and wealth gospel. And so the Christians were permeating this message that now permeated society of get the bigger loan, And it all collapsed. So Christians are the ones to blame. Now, obviously, hugely trumped up. People were very greedy. And a lot of banks were happy to pass along the the moving chairs and pass on that loan to somebody else, and we don't have to deal with it. Even today, as some of the things that are happening, you're starting to hear Christians are the problem. White evangelical Christians, in particular, are the problem. Christian nationalists, Christians is. And I think for us, when we hear that, 15 comes into play. 
Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So he goes all the way from murder to meddler. He's saying, let it not be named among you. If you're suffering because you're actually a part of this and you actually were part of this problem, well then, you know, it's kind of like, you, you, if you're doing something stupid and now you're suffering for it as a Christian, don't, don't you say, well, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. I mean, if you're truly mean at work, you're belligerent to your boss, you're spreading stuff and you're sending out emails and you're, and you're taking down other people, you're copying all and taking somebody down, and then all of a sudden you get fired and you say, I'm getting fired because I'm a Christian. <laughs> you got fired because you weren't doing good work and you're bringing others down. So don't let, don't let you know, if you're going to suffer, let it truly be because you're suffering as a Christian. And isn't it interesting that the word Christians actually use here? It's the word Christianos in Christiamos in the original language, and it's rarely used. Just a couple times in Acts, it says the Christians were being called Christian. And do you remember what Agrippa said when Peter or Paul was preaching the gospel to him and he's trying to convert him? And he's telling him, Look, these things didn't happen in the corner. I know you've heard about them. And he's trying to convert. Uh, Agrippa, and Agrippa says to him, would you in a short time persuade me to be a Christian? Like, if you think of it, he's like, you know, man, that would be like the worst thing ever. Like, me, a Christian? Like, you guys are the lowest, you know? Like, the Christians were starting to get a bad name. And so as Nero threw them under the bus, persecution started coming terribly upon the church. Terribly. They were hated. And there were lots of things that were spread about these Christians that were, that were really not true, saying that they're love feast or, you know, that they're, 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 they're cannibalistic, they're, they're into the body and blood of Jesus, they're love feast where they're kissing each other, you know, there are all kinds of sexual stuff going on. And none of that was true. But they started, they didn't like that Christians were splitting families because some were getting saved and some were not. And so the easiest answer was, let's just start persecuting these Christians and making them bow to Nero and give the pinch of, of incense and say Caesar is Lord. And when the Christians refused to say Caesar is Lord, well, then they became lamps at night and they took their bodies and wrapped them around a pole and light, lit them for, for luminaries in the city. And they started saying, well, they'll make great, great attraction at the gladiator fights if we just have some Christians and some lions and we'll dress them up with blood and we'll put stuff on them and see how long it takes for the lions to make a meal out of them. And people would come and watch that. It's terrible. Well, Peter is writing this before it happens and he says, Brother, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. I mean, he, I don't think he knew or it He's speaking prophetically when it comes upon you. I mean, it came upon them fast to test them. And so some of the things that we're wrestling with are really small um, in, in comparison to what they suffered. Now, this idea that we're told here that there's a judgment is to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I would say to us that there's a difference between the judgment, which is this Greek word krima, and condemnation, which is katakrima. Big difference. One is a judgment of condemnation. 
The other is a purification. It's an examination. It's an inspection. And if the Christians are going to be refined, we're told, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You're going to be tested through fire. Just as Scott read the passage in 1 Peter 1 about, you know, though now for a little while, you've been tested, right? Through this fiery trial, purify. We're being, we're like this uh, gold or silver that's being purified through a fire. There's an examination that's taking place. Some of you have been a part of um, Chieftain every year has like a, a parents' night. And Chieftain is this homeschool umbrella group right down at Durwood Bible Church. And Evan Peer's dad has a class. And his class is there to build a bridge. And so the big event at parents' night is in, this, in, in the lobby at Durwood Bible. And everybody who's in the class has made a bridge of popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. And then they come to the inspection, to the fiery trial that will test these. And basically, here it is. They're put, their bridge is then tested, and they put weights underneath of it to see who's going to win. And how many pounds can your popsicle stick bridge endure? And every year, he has one that does like 400 pounds or more. I mean, it's unbelievable how many pounds he's built one that's, you know. And so some of them, it's kind of humorous. He'll hold it up and look at it and say, this is a beautiful bridge, but it's not going to last long. <laughs> and he puts it on the first weight, 20 pounds, and, psh, you know, flies the, uh, the popsicle sticks. But others that are well-constructed and built properly will take 20 pounds and 20 pounds, and they just keep putting weights and weights. And this popsicle stick bridge is holding and holding and holding up to a couple hundred pounds you see and we are called as believers to build our foundation not on the sand of this world but on the rock of Christ because it's going to be tested it notice that the text just says to us as you read it right you're reading along in first Peter 12 and it says do not be surprised at the fiery trial when I mean, we just wanted to say if, like he says at the beginning of the epistle. But he says when. It's going to happen. And then when you get to the end of the epistle, at verse 510, he says, and after you have suffered a little while. It doesn't say and if. He says after. And he says when. Meaning, you're not escaping this. We will suffer. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when your car doesn't start. Don't be surprised when your basement is taken in water, right? Don't be surprised when there's no hot water. The hot water heater doesn't work. Don't be surprised. Like, these, it's a fallen world. Be surprised when everything's working. Like, this is unbelievable. My, my computer is actually booting up. It's going to the Internet. It's pulling down all the programs. It's, everything just seems to be working. Be surprised. But don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you because we're in, all of a sudden, now we're in the test. We've now gone to the building bridge of popsicle time, and now it's time to see, how is Charlie's faith? Let's put a little 20-pound weight of trial. Let's put another 20 on there, and another 20, and another 20. Let's see how he does. And usually, my popsicle sticks just quickly break into pieces and a big snap because... I want to trust in myself. But God is weaning us from that. There's a pastor who told a story 
where he was teaching his people about this idea of fire through purification, he had a silversmith in his church. And so he asked him, how long do you need to keep that silver in the fire? Like to get out the, you know, the, the dross or the, you know, the impurities, how long do you have to do it? And the silversmith said to him, I know when to take it out because I look at it, and when I can see my face and my reflection in the silver, then I know that it's time. And the pastor thought about it and said, that's exactly what God does to us, is he puts us in the fire, and when he sees his image being reflected of us bringing glory to him and getting rid of the dross, now it's serving its distinct purpose, you see. And so when you think about it, when you have these metals, you've got, you know, you've got metal and you've got dross, and they do just fine together in normal temperatures. They do just fine. But once you heat them up, these two cannot exist. The, the fire creates separation. What's happening right now in our culture is the fire is creating separation. It's creating a condition which these two can no longer stand alongside of one another. The pure can handle the fire, the impure cannot. And so we're seeing what's real and what is false. And we're seeing what is dross and what is true. And so as Tim Keller says, a trial is whenever there's a separation made between your allegiance to God and your allegiance to other things. And when the heat comes on, you can't keep going on the same road that you could have before. And so the idea here is that the fire comes along to burn off the impurities and to burn off all the other allegiances. When things get threatened, when things slip out of our grasp, there's a fork in the road. We have to show that our allegiance is to God in the midst of the fiery trial. And for unbelievers, you know, ultimately in the last day, we will all face a judgment. But the good news for us as believers is that Jesus came and not only did he experience suffering, just suffering because he's in a fallen world, but he suffers the ultimate wrath of God, which would have been our ultimate end game. We would have stood before God with nothing, you know, the Bible says every mouth will be stopped at the last day. Like no more excuses, every mouth silenced before God. And either Jesus is our righteousness and our trust because he suffered for our sins and made us right with him through his death on a cross. And so that gives us hope that we're not gonna face this fire of judgment, of condemnation, because Jesus bore it for us and has given himself for us. And so our job now as believers is verse 19. It's really the theme of the whole book. And the theme of the whole book summed up in one verse, is therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Keep doing good. Don't be surprised when hard times come. Don't think it's strange. Don't be ashamed of that name. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, but rather rejoice, glorify God that he's picked you to share in Christ's sufferings and that he's going to honor and reward you. He's promised that he would reward you in heaven when you do that and continue to entrust your soul to him and keep doing good, trusting that God will honor you and vindicate you at some point 
either in this life and certainly at the last day. And may that be a strength to us in the now. Let me pray for us as we come to the table this morning. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. We pray that you would strengthen us, help us to see that the fire that comes upon us is is not a bad thing, but it's your very purpose to get rid of the dross. And we pray, Lord, that we would submit, that we would entrust our souls afresh to you. We thank you that you are a faithful creator. You have your purposes and your plan, and often we don't know what all of those things are. But we pray that we would continue to do good. We pray that we would honor you and not be ashamed of you. Keep us from denying you or blaspheming your name. Meet us now at your table and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.